Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy and I've got an amazing guest. Brian Carden is a real visionary CMO. He's been behind amazing companies in his career. If you look on LinkedIn, you'll see stops at places like Forrester, really defining market trends, CMO at Eloqua, a company that was ultimately acquired by Oracle and went on to other companies like Fuse. Today, he is the CMO at Envision, a company that's seen amazing growth. And when I say amazing, some of the numbers that they posted last year include 2 million new users. That brings up to over 7 million users using their platform. Their focus as well is now on bringing on enterprise customers. They have over 350 enterprise customers brought on last year. And this ends up being a big part of our discussion. It's this concept of how do we leverage product-led growth where we have all these users coming in that can ultimately take us to a potential to sell enterprise deals. We've seen this a lot in different software companies in the last number of years, companies like Slack. And Brian hits on others that are part of who he envies and he looks up to. But we talked a lot about the strategy that he's putting forward to achieve these results. And a lot of that comes down to sales and marketing alignment. So this is a great podcast for anyone who's coming from either that sales or marketing side, figuring out how to create a really organic, growth model that comes from our users, lining up people who are ready to buy and ready to advocate for you. Here's my chat with Brian Carter. Brian, thanks so much for finding time to chat with us. I am really excited to hear about your journey. And right now you are the CMO at Envision, a very exciting high growth company. How did you find this op? Headhunter called me. Yeah. So uh, like a lot of us, um, I'm sort of in the Rolodex. And, uh, you know, it's funny with careers, I always take a call of a headhunter and I am almost never in the market, but I think it's good to hear what's out there. And I always keep a list of friends who are looking for their next gig. I think it's something nice to do for the community. So that's always been one of my good career things is staying in touch with search firms and letting my fellow marketers know about different opportunities that are available. That's interesting. I, you know, I, I know a lot of marketers these days, especially getting hit by recruiters nonstop. I was speaking yeah. to not a CMO, but a director level. And she said she probably gets you know three to four incoming inquiries a week. How do you determine which are the ones to, to take those calls from? Yeah, it's usually from, you know, I used to believe it was the firm name, but there's such a long tail of search firms. It's not just, you know, when I started my career, there was sort of Heydrich and Russell Reynolds and Spencer Stewart, Egon Zender, a handful of companies had all the searches, but because you don't need that scale anymore, all you need is LinkedIn. You have access to the world's greatest Rolodex. There's this long tail of hundreds and hundreds of first tier recruiters. I do speak to most of them, unless the job is so blatantly uh, wrong for me. And it tells me that the recruiter didn't spend any time researching who I am. You know, it's in some weird industry that I have no experience in, or it's just the wrong level. But I call almost all of them back. I find it like interesting to do. And I almost always give them the name of one or two people. And I find that to be something that I enjoy. And I think they find it helpful. 
Gotcha. So this is not your first gig by any means as CMO. You've been CMO of some amazing companies, especially within the marketing space, including Eloqua, including you know the Forrester Research Arm. How do you determine what is the right fit for you? Has it been a very marketing first company pursuit, or are you always listening to different opportunities out there outside of marketing? You know, I have this mindset, but I've always been a very curious person. So I listen to people who convince me otherwise. But, you know, these search people are very evil. They're really good communicators and they can really dangle something in front of you to make it seem enticing, even though it's a piece of crap. 95% of the things out there are junk. We should know that because 95% of the companies, whether it's in MarTech or sales tech or FinTech, uh, go nowhere. They just, you know, it doesn't happen. My brother jokes that they call it Fortune Magazine not Misfortune Magazine. It's because you never hear about the 95 to 98% of people who take a job with an early stage company, they get their shares, their options are really excited, and then it just goes nowhere. So you have to be uh, super selective. I've always been a marketer, I, I studied it. Uh, it's kind of interesting though, now at my company, I've, I've been at Envision for about a year and a half. Two months in, my CEO calls me and says, Brian, I wanna make a change in sales. I'm thinking, oh, I just got to know the head of sales. He's a great guy. We're building a relationship. And, he, and uh, Clark, our CEO, tells me that, Brian, I want you to run sales. It's a really unique position. I run sales and marketing. Uh, and our sales and marketing teams together are almost 200 people at our company. And so for me, it's like something I never thought of I would do in my life. I've run BDR teams and SDR teams before, sort of the team that handles the inbound and does the appointment setting. But I've never had quota. So I find that uh, really an exciting opportunity. And so few companies consolidate sales and marketing in the same leader. So I feel very blessed to have like a whole new set of things to learn and new muscles and dealing with uh, salespeople as well as customer success support, all those things, sales enablement. That's really exciting. And, and to your point, it's something new. It's, it's a new challenge. I'm hearing more companies that are exploring this. Obviously, in your case, though, it's not purely an inbound funnel. Right. You know, that's, that's managing sales in an online perspective. A big part of your strategy is building an enterprise play. So what does that meant in terms of how you structure your team? Is, is marketing and sales one team as far as you're considering things? Or are you overseeing two teams? It's a great question. You know, I think most, if you read the literature, Serious Decisions, McKinsey, when people talk about it, they always talk about alignment between sales and marketing. They never talk about integration. It always seems like you want to be aligned on your goals. To me, that seems like you're two different organizations. So we try to operate as one organization. Uh, we call it the go-to-market teams. It works out really well. We're super tight. One of the great things is I can make stuff happen. Like if you're just running marketing, you got to always sell an idea to the head of sales. I don't really have to do that. So I can move very, very quickly, which is really stunning. We can bring on new technologies. We can change comp plans. We can do any number of things. And so that's really exciting to me. So I'm, I'm loving it. That's fantastic. How do you go about getting some of that knowledge where you've got a gap? I mean, you know, as we said, you've been a CMO multiple times. So you've seen great sales leaders and you've probably seen those, as you call it, the misfortunate sales leaders. What is someone that you've looked back on in, in your career and said, that's the type of sales leadership I want to bring into this? I have so many great examples of amazing sales leaders. You know, some of the people I've worked with were Alex Schutman, who ended up uh, being president of Eloqua and then eventually a CEO of Workfront, just an amazing, charismatic sales leader. 
he just taught me so much. Uh, we were peers. He was running sales at Eloqua for a long time. I was running marketing, and I learned a ton from him about uh, you know intelligent urgency, setting up the right motivation, the right quotas, the right comp plans. You know, how do you go to market? And then uh, over the last few years, uh, there's a guy named John McMahon who's been on the board of several amazing companies, including MongoDB, Snowflake, some amazing IPOs, and he's also been extremely helpful. So I just read a lot, but mostly I talk to sales leaders about uh, what it takes. So I find that uh, sales leaders are very open and very cool with educating me. And so it's been like a, a very interesting process of educating. I've always been on the other side watching what sales leaders do and being a peer, but I will say, I do have an amazing sales leader who reports to me and uh, who came from LinkedIn and from Salesforce and has just an amazing background. And so I learn a lot from him as well. Uh, but I'd say the main thing is having it fully integrated, these two teams, marketing and sales, and also being able to move incredibly quickly. Let's Interesting. I, I'm curious, one more element on this whole alignment or integration, as you called it, which is you think about the, the kickoff. Right, the the SKO, if you will, RKO. We call it revenue kickoff. Okay, so that was, that's where I'm going with this. <laughs> you know, when when you when I've been to both our own SKOs and marketing kickoffs, which we do individually. You know, we do company wide kickoffs, but we do team wide individually. Yeah. And I contrast that to even some of the other companies that I've attended as a partner, companies like Marketo and others sure. over the years. There's a very different vibe. At a you know a traditional SKO in terms of what a salesperson might buy into and use as personal personal motivation versus the type of intrigue that a marketer may be looking for yeah. to get them going. How do you in an RKO bring everyone together and and have it appeal to all? It's a great question. So we split it up. So the the first day, for example, is everyone together including awards like the President's Club trip. We have marketers going on the trip as well. Uh, we talk about you know, uh, goals, what we're doing. And then the second day, we'll break it off into different teams. But something that's really interesting is that I want everyone on the marketing team to walk in the shoes of a salesperson. Like I want them to be trained on the elevator pitch. I want them to know the differentiators. I want them to sit in on sales calls. You know, A lot of companies use Gong, we use Quora, so we record sales calls. Uh, I want them to hear what's going on. I want them to really understand because that will make them much sharper about the kind of messages, the kind of storytelling that they do in emails or webinars or, you know, with uh, with bots on the website for, for live chat. So it's really important to walk in the shoes of a salesperson. One of the key learnings we had was that we have over-engineered the cockpit for a salesperson. We just loaded up too many damn things. I, I, I asked some of the, the marketing people, a day in the life of a salesperson. And they said, there are too many dials. There's too many places to check. We have to simplify their lives. And of course, marketers, what do we want to do? We want to load it up with all this cool MarTech. And how about this? And there's a bell over here and a, an ABM over here. And there's intent data here. And there's AI over here. And there's, it's like, we're just loading it up. So you really have to think about a salesperson and how do they consume all the information and really simplify their life. The goal is to make them really productive and give them more face time in front of customers. So we've been able to take a lot of our leads. We don't push them to human beings at all. We're using bot technology. We're using AI automated sequences to sort of scoop off the lower converting leads. And so only the highest ones actually go to a human being. But we're always thinking in terms of productivity of the sales team. That's always our biggest lever. That's great. Well, we're going to dig more into 
productivity of sales and the focus of the sales team over at Envision. We're going to take a quick break on the marketer's journey here with Brian Carden. We'll be right back. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. So it's interesting to hear Brian talk about not just aligning marketing and sales, but actually integrating them. And this is a real evolution. I remember not so long ago, I mean, maybe it was five, 10 years ago, but the idea of integrating those two teams was at best the two teams meeting on a weekly basis, ensuring that you had meetings where sales and marketing had representation so everyone could be on the same page. Now, Brian's vision is obviously a lot further along where the two are actually integrated into one leader. But even on my team, we're doing things to really align between those two teams. We have different parts of our marketers aligned with different parts of our go-to-market strategy. So we have a vertical marketing team. We also have more of a commercial marketing team, an enterprise marketing team, which matches how our sales organization is structured too. And I think everyone needs to look at ways to just get deeper in terms of that alignment. Eventually we'll be integrating as Brian hits, but right now, make sure you've got basic alignment. Brian, I want to go deeper into Envision's sales process and, and where you're focused. And it was interesting. Recently, I saw a post by you where Envision is touting the amazing growth that's going on. Two million new users in the last year, which is fantastic, especially in a year of so much change. But the other number that's also being you know, celebrated is 350 enterprise customers and there there's such different new enterprise customers we have a, you know we have thousands of enterprise customers we added 350 new ones right correct 350 new but i mean those are, that's such i mean 2 million versus 350 they're both exciting in such different ways and i'm wondering which is the one that the team is rallying around at this stage of growth is it that organic or is it that really focused sales outreach it's a great question. I, I think for a long time, uh, people view them as very distinct, but they're actually quite related because a lot of our bottoms up uh, PLG product led growth, these 7 million people who are downloading the app and using it, they hit a paywall at some point. Uh, a lot of them, these little seeds, they become beautiful trees later and they become enterprise accounts. So that's actually one of our best lead sources. Uh, and we call it you know, PQLs, product qualified leads. You have an MQL, marketing qualified lead. You have a product qualified lead. So if people do certain things in the product, in the app, they're a heavy user, they're inviting other people in, it triggers a signal, and we have a, a rep uh, reach into that, that person and say, hey, do you want to join? You guys have a corporate account, or it makes sense to have an enterprise account. So they work together. But it is two completely different mindsets also. 
the kinds of muscles you need to be really good at the enterprise, working different relationships, being very patient, making sure you get the right decision makers is very different than an app that people download that becomes very viral. So you have to have people with skills to do both. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I've experienced in my career and, and in stops along the way is sometimes we don't know how to jump from that individual user who could be either freemium based or paying a very low amount to all of a sudden suggesting to them that they're going to spend six or seven figures with us. I, I'm wondering how you go about nurturing someone to understand that it's not scary to pitch something much bigger to their organization as one of your champions. Yeah, we've got to have the right story. So if we see multiple users at the same company that have a very low end, you know, entry level account, that would be a good target for us. So we're always trying to qualify uh, who of our freemium or our product led growth accounts, these 7 million are ripe. The easiest ones are individuals who aren't even aware that the company has an enterprise account with us. So for instance, Goldman Sachs, they have thousands of users with us. Very often there'll be like a couple of stray Goldman Sachs people in the freemium. We reach out to them and say, hey, why don't you join up here? We can make that really easy. And so it becomes a larger contract. So that's the easy one. The more complicated one is when we see four or five or 10 users from the same company. And so we have technology that is able to identify them. And then we're able to you know, start talking to them. You know, In some cases, we just leave it alone. It's nice. There's a credit card and we're making money. And uh, the answer to everything is not to put an expensive enterprise rep on something. If the deal's not going to be 10, 20,000, or in our case, 100,000 plus, I'm not going to sick a human being on it. You know, a lot of the thing we try to do with product led growth is to automate processes. So we use a lot of in app sort of messaging uh, through Pendo, which is a great little company. And that's able to signal people, hey, Randy, you haven't tried this yet, or have you thought about this? Or why don't you upgrade to this sort of program? So we do a lot of in-app messaging uh, to these people. And so we're very much about automating things. And we try to be very selective about what we actually want a human being to do. Interesting. And you know, this concept of product-like growth and a, a product-qualified lead, you know, we talked in the first part of our chat about the alignment or integration of marketing and sales. How do you align with product? Because getting even an app like Pendo properly integrated into product and then either managed by product or marketing, you know, that's a lot to figure out. It is. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about where that should sit. Is that a marketing function or is it a product function? Uh, we have power users in Pendo and the marketing team. And so whenever it comes to what we say to a customer, I want marketing to own that. And so we'll do um, all the messaging in Pendo. We work very closely with the product team, but Pendo doesn't really need a lot of product people to help. It really rides over it and you can set them up in just the right way. And the thing I love about the marketing team owning the in-app messaging is we do a ton of A-B testing. So I try to recruit people in the marketing team who have real curiosity. They're very data-driven. They love to test things. So we'll try two different things and uh, we'll split the audience and we'll see which one does better, A or B. Uh, we do it on the website all the time. You know, it's sort of the classic one challenge that marketers have always had. The CEO's got an opinion about the website. <laughs> well, okay. And so the way I handle that is pretty easily. I say, hey, I love your opinion. Let's go test it. As opposed to saying, yes, my Lord, we will implement your crazy idea on the website, which a lot of marketers do. I think that's really a mistake. 
And so some of the time the crazy idea is, is good and sometimes it doesn't perform as well, but we do a lot of A-B testing. So marketing owns all the in-app messaging at Envision. So let's come back to this idea of how do we get this individual user to be targeted as an account that we want to sell to. I love your point. Sometimes just let them grow and leave yeah. them be. And leave them alone, yeah. It can be overwhelming if we signed up thinking we can be in charge and now there's this catch that, no, you got to introduce me. But what are some of the indicators that you use? And I'm, I'm curious how many of them are indication from product usage versus indication of number of users to suggest that it's time to, to reach out. Yeah, it's both those and a few more. So we have a pretty robust algorithm that looks at usage and product adoption and Pendo can drive it. So if they're using this function, but they haven't used this yet, we'll say, hey, Randy, check this out. We haven't done that yet. The other indicator is sharing. So our platform is pretty much a collaboration platform. So to the extent that they invite more people to collaborate with them, uh, that's also an indicator. And then we look at how many seats there are you know, at the same account. Now, some people use their personal email address, uh, which can sometimes be challenging. Uh, we're trying to find good matching technologies to match a company email address with a personal email address. And then as the one you said is just leave it alone. Like it's perfectly fine to have millions of people paying us you know, $20 a month and just let it ride. You know, Some of it though, I think there's a very interesting ethical issue. I don't know about you, but every month I get billed for things that I don't really know what they are. You know, it's like $8 a month, $12 a month. And every time I think I'm going to spend the time to check it out, it's like I got another meeting coming up. Like I don't, you know, so there is this idea of, um, of just let it ride. Uh, so we do have a lot of customers who don't use the product very robustly, but still pay us. It's something I think about, like if we want to get them using it more, probably. And we do a lot of research into why they're not using the product. Very often they jump to another job or they change careers or something happened, or they set up another account with another domain. Absolutely. So if I look back on your career, which we did earlier, I mean, this is a very different opportunity than Eloqua. I mean, Eloqua was an enterprise first sale as far as yeah, I thought. Absolutely. You know, high growth yeah. or enterprise. And I would think Fuse also was was harder to sell that individual user. It's definitely enterprise, yeah. Exactly. So, I, you know, you talked about loving to read, loving to learn from others. As you look at this product-led growth model, what are other companies that you're in envy of uh, or you point your team towards? I mean, for me, I, I always have loved the way Slack has brought our team on and, and really done it from a grassroots perspective. Is there any others out there that you think are doing this really well? Yeah, there are lots of good examples. And Slack is interesting because, uh, you know, I've been a Slack user for a long time and I love Slack in so many ways. But, you know, Microsoft Teams is crushing them. And there's a reason why Salesforce bought them. Like Slack was sort of hitting the wall. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Zoom too, all the Zoom fatigue, a lot of negative things happening. So people don't stay bell of the ball forever. You got to stay fresh and you got to have a new differentiation. So a couple of companies I, I really like. Uh, first of all, there's a venture capital firm that I read pretty extensively called OpenView. They have great content and they have a partner named Blake Bartlett who uh, does a podcast and he does videos on product-led growth. They have really good data and they give lots of good examples. The other company I watch, which is in my backyard here in Boston, is HubSpot. They've done a really good job. There's a guy they have in Europe named Kiernan or Kieran and Flanagan, I think his name is. And he does a really good job of, uh, of figuring out the paywall, the sharing, the experimentation. How does it work? Where does it sit? So they're pretty advanced in, in what they're doing. I love Atlassian. 
like as a marketer, uh, like a lot of marketers don't know what the hell Atlassian is, but they're basically the Marketo for engineers. Like this is the platform of record, how engineers handle tickets and they got Jira. It's just amazing what they have. And they're also masters of sort of bottoms up in teams and product led growth. Uh, Dropbox is another example that I watch very closely. You know, the best way to learn this stuff is to sign up and see how they manage you and actually get the screenshots of how they're messaging you and what they're doing. And, and there's all sorts of subtlety. They're testing everything, like how often do they message you? Because you can have burnout very quickly if they're getting to you too quickly. There's also a lot of strategies about surging messages versus, you know, in marketing, we always talk about nurture, like a drip campaign every week or every two weeks. But there's a lot of evidence to suggest that if you surge it in just a couple of days with a lot of messages, you can break through and get a higher conversion rate. So I look at all these sort of experiments and those are a couple of companies I think are doing a really good job. But you know something with product-led growth? It's just the first inning. Like we're just getting started here. Like we have no idea. And I also feel that COVID has accelerated everything with digital product transformation. And so my children who are now in their 20s, uh, none of them want to be in sales, fortunately. But if I was advising a child, I wouldn't necessarily want them to go into human sales our research has shown that humans don't want to talk to other humans. You know, I want to book a trip, I use my phone. You know, I want to talk to my bank, I use my app. And so everything is now moved. And you would think that the human experience would be more personal and more emotional. It's not. The digital experience can actually be more personal because they have all your data, they can respond. It's, it's big data run amok. Absolutely. Well, a, a lot of what you just hit on there, Brian, between you know Kieran, who we had as a guest on season one of the podcast, and in your point in terms of, of thinking about how things are changing was mentioned by Megan Eisenberg, who was on here just a few weeks ago on the podcast. If, if you came on to this episode, just look a few episodes prior, and Megan talked about finding companies that have had to reinvent a challenge since the iPhone's been created, yeah. and that that's how she finds her winners. Is, you know, picking how iPhone is disrupting. And to your point, I think the phone is allowing us just to interact without the phone component, <laughs> which is really fascinating. And, and I think you're right. We're, we're just in the first inning. We're going to keep this going after a short break. We'll keep you around for one more question right after this break on the marketer's journey. So Brian hits on a bit of a touchy subject there. Will there be salespeople in the future? This is a bold question and one that we could probably do a whole podcast on, but personally, I believe there will always be a role for salespeople. Now, I think different products won't always need to embrace them. And that will be a real big decision that leaders need to make is do we need salespeople who are on the phone or a sales mentality brought more into the marketing organization? Really thinking about when we make offers, when we challenge people to take that next step. Yes, we've got solutions like Brian hit on, like Pendo that allow us to do that in smart ways. We need to bring some of that sales mindset into the marketing work as well. I think it'll be interesting to see how this evolves, but personally, I like talking to a good sales rep. So Brian, one of the things that you pointed out is that you've now got responsibility for sales and marketing. And we know sales and marketers work on different time clocks. What does that mean for you? And in this world of constant connection, how do you make time to break yourself? 
Yeah, there, there are a lot of things I do that I didn't do before COVID, but uh, it's a very intense job running marketing and running sales. So one thing I do is um, the screen is overwhelming during the day. So when the day's over, no more screens. I try to avoid screens wherever possible. I'm reading physical books that takes me to another world. And I read almost all fiction. And I tried to figure out, like, all these marketers are reading all this nonfiction, like how to be a better marketer and where the world's going. And I find that when I get into characters and storytelling, I just transport it to another place, uh, which I just love. And also, I think because marketing essentially is storytelling, that I love a good story and character development. The other thing I do is uh, lots of walks and non-Zooms, uh, non-videos. So just put uh -huh. the, the, the headphones on and take a walk outside and start talking to people, do a virtual walk. So I try to do that wherever I can. And lastly, my daughter is a sommelier. I'm drinking, <laughs> you know. With good advice. <laughs> with good advice. So because she had an interest in wine, I took a course in wine uh, last year for 12 weeks and I was certified at a certain level. And she and I have amazing conversations. So we'll do virtual tastings together, which I just love. That's and we'll cool. talk, you know, about the winemaker, about the terroir, the earth, We'll talk about wines in different parts of the world, what we like, what we don't like. And I find this is also using different senses, different parts of my brain. You know, as a marketer and salesperson, you're using some parts of your brain, but when you're tasting wine and smelling it and looking at it, it just takes you somewhere else completely. So I think these things that have in common is I'm not using the same part of my brain. I'm trying to exercise other things, That's my great. sense of smell and, and taste. I'm trying to, you know, get outside. I'm trying to listen more and do less, you know, screens. Absolutely. Well, to your point, if you know, if we're using our our brain and our eyes all day on Zoom, using our nose and and our taste buds uh, for wine is a good balance. Uh, Brian, this has been a great episode. Great advice. A very interesting career and one that I'm sure is just getting started. As you said, you're in the first innings of product led growth. I think you're still in the early innings of your career. I can't thank you enough. If you've stumbled upon this episode, check out. Many of the past guests we've had have alluded to some of them. Great content. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. Until next time, a big thanks to Brian Cardin, and this has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.